1 Chronicles 16, beginning in verse 28. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in holy array. Tremble before him all the earth. Indeed, the world is firmly established and it will not be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice and let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exalt and all that is in it. Then the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord. For he is coming to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Then say, save us, O God, of our salvation, and gather us and deliver us from the nations to give thanks to thy holy name and glory in thy praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting even to everlasting. So we come this morning to the subject of worship as in the series of reset, those things in our life we need to reset. We've talked about reading the Bible. We've talked about prayer. And this morning we come to worship. Worship is the most basic and essential element of our faith. It is the most significant event in all of heaven. So when you think about what we will do for eternity upon eternity upon eternity, when we get to heaven, you know what we'll be doing? Worshiping. It is, it is a paramount reality in a believer's life. And yet, I believe it is the most misunderstood and disregarded exercise of faith in the lives of many, many believers. Just in my lifetime, I have watched a dramatic shift in the trans, uh, and transformation in the, the place that worship holds in the life of Christians, believers. For most of Christian history, corporate worship, gathering together as the church in worship, was understood as essential to faith. But in the modern era, our era, the prominence and place of worship and the place that it holds in our life has certainly slipped, and for many it has literally fallen off. So as I was thinking about the... the, that, that transformation in the place of worship in the life of the culture at large, but more specifically in the life of the church, two things that stick out in my mind that represent the decline and the prominence of worship in the life of the church. So for me, and this is, this is really from my experience, for me, the first is the claim that you don't have to go to church to worship. I don't hear this much anymore, but I used to hear this quite a bit. Somebody would say, well, you know, I, I worship privately and, and I can see the glory of God on, in, in the deer woods or on the golf course or whatever it is that they were doing. And to be totally frank with you, early in my walk with the Lord, I didn't quite understand or even have the skill set to, to respond to this. I, I struggled to respond uh, to this, particularly as older Christians spoke this to me. But dear friends, any true Christian understands that the creation indeed does testify to the glory of God. So there is some truth that 
you're standing out on a mountaintop, if you're standing even in the valley looking up, if you're standing on the beach looking out on the expanse of the ocean, there's something to be said that worship can happen there. In fact, I believe if you're a believer today and you have been in those moments where you've beheld the glory of God in creation, you've had a moment of worship where you have said, how great is my God, how mighty indeed is he. But as as I've grown older and thought more on this claim and watched particularly the witness of those who made the claim, I came to appreciate how unmoored that claim that you can worship privately outside of the fellowship of believers, how unmoored that is from the truth and how scripturally bankrupt it is. Here's the lie, friends. The lie is that you can worship privately and totally be disconnected from the public worship of the saints. Here's the truth. The closer you walk with the Lord in private, the more obedient you will walk with the Lord in public. Did you hear me? The more closely you walk with the Lord in private, the more obediently you will walk with the Lord in public. What I discovered as the years have passed is that many who made the claim that they worship the Lord privately doing something other than public worship, that was an excuse to cover them in the days when there was cultural pressure to be in worship. But as that cultural pressure has relented, that they, they, they long, they, two things happen. They no longer make that claim, and they no longer even make pretense that they intended to be in worship. You know where those folks are today? They're right where they were 20 years ago, somewhere other than the house of the Lord. That was a bankrupt excuse. The second thing that sticks out in my mind when I think about how the prominence of worship has has fallen for me in my experience was the worship wars primarily of the 80s and 90s. Now, if you're of a certain age, at least my age, you walked through these years. If you're younger than me, maybe by God's grace, you have no clue what I'm talking about, and I'm thankful for that. The worship wars of the 80s and 90s were, in the, were, a, were, a, were a fight over whose style got sung and presented from the stage in church worship. More than anything else, this war manifested as a fight over the type of music used in worship services. At the very heart of the worship wars was selfishness and a weak understanding of what worship really was. The worship wars took the focus of the church gathering away from the glory of God and focused it singularly on the opinions and preferences of man. And the result was devastating to the church and the church's witness to the community. And the sad reality is that fights over music would, be, would become a convenient excuse for many to abandon the church. Not long after I came to Central, there was a family that I knew that had not been attending. And uh, one of the blessings of being the new pastor is you don't have any of the history I don't know what transpired before. And so you can walk into some situations brilliantly, intentionally ignorant. And so I went to make a visit in these, this family's home. 
Now, I wasn't completely uh, clueless. I knew that there was, that, that it had been said that they quit coming to the church during a season where there was a pretty good intense fight over music. So I go to the home and I did not bring that up at all. I just wanted to visit them and I presented it as, listen, I recognize you're not being faithful to worship and to be a part of the church and I want to encourage you, invite you to come back and be faithful to the ministry at Central. At that point, they launched into a defense of themselves, pretty intense, that they were not coming back to Central because they, they had left the church over worship. They didn't like what we sang. They didn't like how we did our music. And they were very particular. They liked a very narrow. In fact, they knew the year of the publication of the hymnal of the only songs they wanted to sing. That was a new one for me. And that was the only thing they would sing. That's the only thing they said they could worship with. Now, I, I think that was, frankly, a, a cover for some deeper disobedience, but I just took it at face value, and I said, okay. If that's all you can worship with, tell me, dear friends, where you are now faithfully worshiping and serving the Lord. It had been a few years since they'd been here. Well, we're not going anywhere. And I just said to them, I said, all right, I'm okay. If you can't worship with us, that's okay. But if you're going to be an obedient believer, you got to be in the house of the Lord, working out your faith with other believers. Find a church. It was several years later. Had the opportunity to preach a funeral for this family, which put me back in interaction with them. And what I discovered about them is they were still using that excuse but the years that had transpired, they had not walked closer, closer with the Lord. They had just allowed more and more worldliness and secularness to enter into them. That at that last opportunity I had talking with them, they couldn't even articulate the difference between what was a spiritual song and a non-spiritual song. And the excuse was wearing terribly thin. Now, dear friends, both of those things, this idea that worship can be divorced from the, the corporate worship of the church, and that worship has something to do with personal preference and music style, those are symptoms, they're not the cause. They are symptoms of a people who do not understand what it is to stand before the glory and majesty of God and worship. Now, the truth of it is, that scripture is full of passages that teach on worship, that give examples of worship. I mean, I think of Isaiah um, uh, 6 and, and several other places that you could go to. And so there, there's no sense here that what I'm going to do today is exhaustive as far as everything you ever need to know about worship. But what I do think, this passage where David is worshiping before the, before the Lord gives us a glimpse into his heart. And I think there are some things that we can glean and understand about worship that will be helpful. David gives many uh, um, imperatives here in this, in this psalm. He tells us to give thanks. He tells us to call upon the name of the Lord. He says that we ought to make uh, known his deeds, to tell of his wondrous works, to remember his works and his miracles, to sing praise, the glory in his name, to seek the Lord, to remember the covenant, to declare his glory, ascribe his glory, and worship him. But here's where I want to give our attention to today from these verses that we read. Worship begins when we recognize the glory of God. I think that's why so few today worship, because they do not recognize the glory of God. It begins with recognizing the glory of God. Number two, when we worship, we join in the great chorus of all of creation. It's a mystery to me, to be honest, how this all works. But the trees, the ocean, 
and all the fields contain and all the oceans contain, the rocks and everything that has breath worships the Lord. And when we worship, we join in that chorus. And then lastly, there is a truth that worship has and is and will be forevermore from everlasting to everlasting worship is forever. Let's begin with recognizing God's glory. Look with me again in verse 28. This is one of the admonitions, one of the commands in this psalm of thanksgiving. David says, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord and the glory do his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in holy array. Tremble before him all the earth. As David gives in this proclamation of thanksgiving as he worships before the Lord, one of the things that is clear is that he recognizes the uniqueness of God's glory. The uniqueness of God's glory. So the beginning of all worship is a recognition of God's glory. David lived in a world like our own in that he lived in a world where the nations that were Israel's neighbors worshipped idols of stone and wood. Now, you might say, we don't live in a world where people worship idols of stone and wood. I would first say, yes, we do. But we also are a people who live amongst people who worship idols just as much as in the days of David. The people of Israel were constantly tempted to worship these idols. We live in a land that is filled with idols that demand our attention and worship of people. Listen, for most of us, one of the great idols that is killing us is in our own pockets. Some of you can't even sit through a worship service without pulling out this idol and looking at it. Today, God's people are constantly tempted to worship these idols. In verses 25 and 26, it is that there, David gives recognition that God is uniquely worthy of worship and glory. Look up with me in this passage. He says, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Excuse me, that's not Psalm 96. In verse 25, he says, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared among all the gods, for all the gods of the people are idols. In fact, some of your translations may say worthless idols, and I'll explain that in just a minute. All, for all the gods of all the peoples are idols, but the Lord God made the heavens. Now, he's quoting there himself. Psalm 96 says, For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared among above all gods, for all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Now the word there used in both Psalm 96 and in this passage is for idols is worthless idols. The word there means futile or insufficient or, 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 or worthless. The idea there is you are giving your glory, your honor, your, wor- your worship to something that has absolutely no value. The point that David is making is that idols seem worthy of worship only in the absence of the glory of God. Hear me. Idols seem worthy of worship only in the absence of the glory of God. But when the glory of God is beheld, the idols are revealed as worthless. In this room, I know it, I see it. Some of you pull your phones out, whatever, and you're doing those things, and that seems like a valuable use of your time. 
Because you are looking at those things in an absence of understand the glory of God. But if you'll behold the glory of God, the eternal reality of his truth, there is nothing on your phone that is worth looking at it over hearing the word of God. Today, there are many idols that clamor for our attention. Just think about with me, friends, how much we have access to entertainment. It's new to our culture and our day. I mean, you can, you, I remember there was a day when getting cable in your home was a big deal. And that was like 30 channels. You remember that? In fact, I remember cable when it was just 12 channels. And half of those were your local channels that went off at midnight. But right now, you can subscribe to Hulu and Sling and Netflix and Disney Plus and now all the other stations and Peacock and all the rest are coming out. You can binge watch on your favorite show over and over again. You can entertain yourself to death. can be an idol. Add to that games and hobbies. Add to that personal pleasure and rest and relaxation and fulfilling desires. Add to that our chasing of wealth. All these things seem worthy of our best attention when they are beheld isolated from the glory of God. But when you recognize the true, unique glory of God, all these things lose their shine. Do you remember that hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus? Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Recognize God's glory, and when you do, it demands a response of worship. Recognizing God's glory demands a response of worship. David testified to this in his response in verse 28, 29, and 30. That's why he says, ascribe. And notice what he says here. He says, ascribe in verse 28 to the, to the Lord, O families of the peoples. The, the, the idea there is ascribe everyone the glory that is due his name. So everybody. Whoever you are, if you have breath today, give the recognition that God is glory and worthy of glory to his name. Bring an offering, worship him, tremble before him. The modern consumer-minded believer makes an assumption that worship can be had according to the desires of the worshiper. Uh, listen, I know I'm stirring the Kool-Aid this morning, but I'm already halfway in, so let's go all the way, okay? Oh, you're willing to worship when it's convenient. You're willing to worship in a way that it can be enjoyed. You're willing to worship as long as if it's not uncomfortable. But the truth of the matter is, you don't have any problems ignoring, abandoning, postponing, or substituting worship. That flows from a heart of a consumer, not one who's beheld the glory of God. Worship is not something we purchase or consume. Worship is the response we have to the glory of God. 
And when you behold the glory of God, it demands our worship when it is convenient and when it is not. It demands our worship not for our pleasure, but because God is worthy of our worship. The glory of God cannot be ignored. It cannot be put off. It cannot be um, uh, known out. It cannot be put in a box that we can control. To know the glory of God is to worship God and call others to do the same. Worship begins by recognizing the glory of God. But second thing I want you to see is that when we worship, we join all of creation in worship. So look in verse 31 with me. David says, let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. In verse 32 says, let the seas roar and all it contains. Let the field exalt, exalt and all that is in it. Then the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. All of creation, dear friends, worships. And there's two things I think that we see in this passage that propel or, or that creative, all of creation worship celebrates. And the first is that, that we worship under the goodness of God's rule. So in verses 31, 32, and 33, David recognizes that all of creation participates in the worship of God. So in verse 30, he says, all of the earth trembles before him. In verse 31, he says, the heavens be glad, the earth rejoices. In verse 32, he says, the seas roar and all that it contains, and that the fields exalt and all that is in it. And in verse 33, he says, even the trees sing for joy. Now, two things here that the worship of all creation celebrates God's rule and God's redemption. In verse 31, David says that the heavens and earth declare the Lord reigns. The rule of God, dear friends, is good. He is good indeed, and it is just. All of creation suffers under the unjust rule of man. All of creation longs for good and just rule. And here we have David, King David, not celebrating his rule, but recognizing that all of creation rejoices in the rule of God. God is a good king. God is the just and the justifier. God is the rightful ruler of every man and all of creation. And the heavens and earth bow and worship before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The seas and all that it contains bow and worship before the ruler of the sea. The trees and the fields and all that it contains and all the trees wave their branches and worship before the one who created them. Every man, every woman, every boy, every Every girl and all of creation must bow in worship before the good king who reigns over all. And secondly, there is rejoicing in the redemption of God. Verse 33, 34, and 35 in our passage points to this hope. That God is redeeming. For he is coming to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Then say, save us, O God, of our salvation, and gather us and deliver us from the nations to give thanks to thy holy name and glory in thy praise. When I think of redemption, when I think of being under the rule of God, I tend to think primarily of humanity. But David says, no, it's not just us. It's all of creation that rejoices in the rule of God and rejoices in the redemption of God. 
you do understand that we are not alone in being under the curse of sin. All of creation is under the curse of sin. The New Testament points to this in Romans 8 when it says, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. And so all of creation worships God and celebrates the redemption it's why in Luke chapter 19, Jesus says, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Rocks will worship. It's why in Psalm 150, it says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. All of creation may worship, but the greatest voices of worship should be from men and women who have been redeemed made children of God and citizens of the kingdom of God. Now, I'm just going to say to you, it is a mystery, something I don't think we fully understand how the trees and how the sea and how the field and all of that worships. But this is what I do know. I want my voice to be the loudest. Somebody say amen. I want the hearts, the, the voices of those whose hearts have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus to be the loudest I want us to be the greatest worshipers of all of creation, celebrating his rule and rejoicing in his redemption. One last thing, and that is that worship is forever. Look in the very last verse. Verse 36, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting even to everlasting. Now, a couple of things here. First and foremost, God is forever good. In verse 34, David declares, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. It means it never stops or ceases. You understand that when the Bible uses the word good, it doesn't mean what we mean by good, as in something that's preferable over other things. The Bible means when it uses the word good as completely perfect without error. That's why Jesus says, no one is good but God. And we also understand that there is nothing this side of heaven that is truly good. It happens often. It's probably happened to you if you've lived long enough that there was somebody in your life that you thought was just amazing. Maybe they were a mentor. Maybe they were a great leader. But they were amazing. And even more heart-wrenching, maybe they were somebody who was a spiritual leader in your life, a mentor in your life, and you, you just thought they were wonderful. And, if, and particularly if you knew them as a child, you thought they could do no wrong. You walk long enough, you spend enough time, and all of a sudden you realize that that great person that you thought was awesome and great has clay feet. There's some things about them that are not perfect. There's some things about them that are, are less than honorable. And um, it's a disappointing reality every time it happens to realize that someone you thought was amazing turned out to be in the flesh just like the rest of us. Here's what I think is the most amazing testimony that's happening here. David says, you know, God is good. God is good forever and ever and ever. And I believe what he's trying to communicate here is that the more you know God, the more you recognize that he's better and more good than you thought he was. 
There's never a moment when you discover God is less than. There is only moments when you discover that God is more than. He's gooder than good. Amen. He's better than you thought. And when you worship, you join the chorus of all of eternity past that has been declaring the goodness of God, saying, yes, God is good and worthy of praise. From everlasting past to everlasting future, declaring the goodness of God. He is, he is good historically, and dear friends, he is worthy of worship presently. Now, presently, when we think about worship, I want to tie this in your minds to evangelism. In other words, he is worthy of worship, therefore we proclaim him to the nations. In verse 36, with the people, the, the, the people add their voices to David's worship, and they say, Amen. In other words, so be it. Let it be. One of the common characteristics of worship is that it draws the worshiper to invite others to worship. This is the the bankruptcy of the one who says, I worship privately. Because if you've truly beheld the glory of God, the most natural thing to do is to grab somebody else and say, you got to come see this. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Try me on this one. Go in any place in Scripture where God reveals his glory and tell me if it's not true that in all those places there's a motivation, there's a word declared amongst the nations. Let the peoples be glad that the the nations may know. As you behold the glory of God, you recognize that he alone is worthy of all worship and glory from every part of creation, every tongue, and everything that has breath. That's why worship is never just a private affair. Rather, worship compels us, it propels us, it excels us in our evangelism. Come and know the glory of God. A true worshiper desires that the Lord receive all the worship that is due him. And until every tongue confesses and until every knee bows, God is not receiving the worship that he is due. One other thing, and that is that we long for the day when God's glory is known by all. So David says, from everlasting even to everlasting. That both looks backwards eternally and it looks forward eternally. Forever all true believers, there is a desire and a longing for the day when all believers worship perfectly and God perfectly receives all the honor and glory due his name. Now, friends, this day is coming. Isaiah 45 says, I have sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not return, will not turn back, that to me every knee will bow, every tongue will swear allegiance. Paul picks up on those words in Philippians 2 and in Romans 14 where he says, Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord and the glory of God to the, uh, to the glory of God the Father. Then in Romans he says, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. Now, let's be clear. That right there 
is the driving hope of every Christian. Oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus, the day when every tongue confesses and every knee bows before you in worship. This is the longing of everyone who has beheld the glory of God. And dear friends, we understand that the glory of heaven will be the perfection of worship of the redeemed and the confession of worship of the condemned. So as we think about worship, everlasting and everlasting, it has and it is and it will forever be worship. I began this morning with a discussion of how many have fallen away from corporate worship. This is not to negate private worship, but I believe that the one who worships God in private will most naturally desire to worship God in the context of corporate worship amongst the fellowship of the saints. A mark of one who knows God is worship. It has, it is, and it will forever be true. So the question I think you and I have to ask this morning is, how then are we to think about those who have allowed worship to falter in their lives? Now, I understand that some of you right now are in that camp. You've approached worship not because of the glory of God, but more so as a consumer. You've allowed, and therefore, it has faltered in your life. First, I think we need to be very clear this morning. That if worship has faltered in your life, it is not because God is no longer good. Amen? He's good whether you declare it to be true or not. If worship has faltered in your life, it is not because he is no longer worthy of your worship. He is worthy of all worship and all praise, whether you give it or not. It's not because he no longer rules, dear friends. He does, in fact, rule. Whether you ascribe to him authority or not, he is sovereign over all. Your heartbeat beats right now because of his will. And the breath in your lungs is because he's allowed it to be there. And let's be very clear. If your worship has faltered, it is not because God has lost one iota of his glory. He's as magnificently glory today as he has been for all of eternity. When worship falters in your life, it is because you have turned away and become, and become distracted by the worthless idols of this world. This photo was posted on Well Watching Sydney's Facebook page. Now, that's a company that takes tourists out to Well Watch. And it's an amazing photo, isn't it? I mean, the boat literally is getting wet as the well leaps from the water. It would have been an amazing experience. Can you imagine being on that boat? You paid your money, whatever money you paid to go watch wells, and almost like Disney World, they got one to jump right there at your boat. It probably shook the boat some. It would have been an amazing experience to be on that boat in that photograph and be so close to such a magnificent animal leaping from the water. In the Facebook post of Well Watching Sydney, uh, they said, just wow, amazing picture taking just then 
at our 2 p.m. Explorer cruise by the talented J.P. Goodridge. It was dated July 19, 2016. Now that's pretty cool. But just below that post are the comments. And in the comments on this Facebook post revealed a heartbreaking truth. I want you to look a little bit closer to the photo. I don't know if you can tell from where you're sitting, but everybody on the boat is looking the wrong way. They said that there was something happening to the right of the boat. And so all of the folks on this particular boat were looking to the right, hoping to see something amazing. And because they were looking to the right, the most amazing thing ever happened and they missed it. Well, watching Sydney commented, and yes, everyone on the boat is looking the wrong way. He, he. It was glorious. It was amazing. It was a once and a lifetime opportunity and they missed it. And they missed it because they were looking in the wrong direction. Friends, when it comes to worship, what are you to do if you have missed it? And the answer is turn around. Turn your attention to the Lord. Turn your attention away from the distractions of this world. It is a powerful thing to do. For some of you that means putting down, for some of you that means throwing away, but turn away from the things of this world and turn to God. Behold His glory. Marvel in His majesty. Tremble at His greatness. And as you turn your heart's attention to the Lord, you will guarantee, discover, or for some of you, rediscover His glory. And as you discover or rediscover and behold His glory, you will, not you might, you will worship Him. And say with David, ascribe the glory that is due his name. Tremble and worship the Lord who is worthy of all worship, glory, and honor, everlasting to everlasting.